1: into action. Today we're speaking with Kelly Dewar. Kelly is a foster program consultant who has worked with various shelters and organizations including Austin Animal Center, FEMA Animal Care Center, Best Friends Animal Society in Houston, and Maddie's Fund. Her focus is on helping shelters and rescues increase live outcomes through the implementation of robust foster care programs. Her role includes consulting with shelters, creating and providing training for organizations and their foster coordinators, and assisting with research on foster care. Kelly previously co-coordinated a foster program that brought orphaned children to the United States in order to find them permanent adoptive homes. She worked as the foster expansion coordinator for a national study of foster care and assisted with the behavioral foster study that was conducted at the Fairfax County Animal Shelter. Over the years, her family has provided care for dozens of foster pets. Kelly's work has been featured in many national publications, websites, and networks, including Animal Sheltering Magazine, The Huffington Post, Best Friends Magazine, Bark Post, iHeartDogs.com, HuffPost Live, and Fox News. Kelly has presented at various national conferences, including the Best Friends National Conference, American Pets Alive, and HSUS Animal Care Expo. Kelly, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, we're going to be talking about all things foster care for cats today. But first, you touched upon it a bit in your bio, but how did you get the passion for cats? It looks like you were working with orphan children, so you've got a passion for helping children. Why the switch and the uh, interest in, in foster care and animals? Um, it's kind of an unusual story.
0: Um, well, first, I am a lifelong cat lover. Um, we've had cats since I was born, pretty much, um, and so I really have connected with them over the years. But my getting into animal welfare is, it's kind of unusual. I kind of liken it to if animal welfare was a building and I was kind of poking around in the back alley and all of a sudden this like secret door opened and it kind of whooshed me inside. <laughs> So I was coordinating that foster program for kids, um, abandoned children from Colombia and Russia. They brought them to the U.S. and ostensibly they would they were here for summer camp, but actually we were working behind the scenes to find them adoptive homes. So I coordinated that program for several years, and the third year I was doing it, we decided we were going to foster, and we found the kids. We fostered a home and a backup home and a backup for the backup, and then we decided you know what? We're just going to adopt them. (laughs) So we ended up adopting them. And fast forward to 2013, my daughter was looking to go into the field of animals. She wanted to be a, a groomer. And I was looking for something we could do together, you know, to kind of build our relationship and also something that would help her with her career. And we decided to start volunteering at the Fairfax County Animal Shelter. And at the same time as we started, Tony Hammond took over as director and Kristen Auerbach uh, became the deputy director right around the same time. We started volunteering. They began a short-term foster program, weekend foster, and we were the first people to sign up. We took the dog in a shelter that was the most stressed out. It was a dog named Mocha. She'd been there for seven months. Uh, She was really having a difficult time. There was really no other option for her because her behavior was such that people who were coming into the shelter kind of went walk right past her kennel because she was just energetic and stressed out. So we took her home. Turns out she was a completely normal dog. She was amazing. Took pictures. She was adopted within a week after the shelter put those pictures up. And so we started taking home these dogs who were shelter stressed and other types of behavioral fosters. And when that program was turned into the behavioral foster study that Kristen Auerbach came out with in, I believe, 2015, Maddie's Fund took notice of that study. They spoke with Kristen and they decided to do a much larger research study on foster care based on that study in Fairfax. And when they did the study, Kristen asked me to be the coordinator for the study. And so that's kind of how I started. So I went to the shelters and did training on how to collect the data and how to extend foster programs and spent about a year working on that study and worked closely with Dula Pino at Maddie's Fund. And I think that through that, it kind of evolved into the job I have now as a consultant.
1: It's amazing. I mean, it's another one of those examples where things just take you right along and you're just sort of accepting of the ride. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You never know where an opportunity will make itself known. From the standpoint of fostering cats, and Mm -hmm. as you've seen lots of different organizations and the work that they've done with regards to helping cats going from bottle feeding kittens or, you know, very pregnant cats to older cats and more compromised and shy cats, I am wondering if you are willing to take the challenge and have me ask you some of the harder questions I think that exist out there for foster care and for cats. Are you ready for some challenging foster care questions? Yes, absolutely. And what I meant to say earlier
0: is that at the same time as we did the dog behavioral study, the shelter was also putting cats into behavioral foster care. So that is something that I am very passionate about. We saw some amazing changes from shelter to home. And probably if we had turned the cat foster behavioral piece into a study, I think we probably would have been able to save 100% of those cats, Um, or at least we were. I don't remember any cat who was put in a behavioral foster during those years not having a, a live outcome. That's excellent.
1: That's fantastic. So my first tough question that I have with regards to cats and foster care, when you are overwhelmed and when you do have a lot of population, how do you choose to allocate your foster care resources? What selection uh, process do you go through to choose, like work to save those bottle baby kittens or a shy semi-feral cat or an older, more compromised cat? Resources are always at the top of the question heap. Is there any insight or any thoughts that you have to give us some guidance on how to choose how to challenge our resources? When you have, say, a
0: population crisis and you look at what populations are the most at risk and also look at what fosters you have. So if you have neonatal fosters, but you don't have fosters for senior cats and both are at risk, one thing that shelters have been doing really successfully lately that I just love is emergency foster. At Pima Animal Care Center, they had a hoarding case a little while ago. They brought in a whole bunch of cats. It really kind of was stretching the shelter's resources. So they put out a call to the community. They put out a press release. They said, we just took in 90 cats or something. We need your help. We need people to step forward and foster adult cats. And the community came out in droves because they asked. People could see the link between coming to foster a cat for just a couple of weeks and saving a cat's life. Obviously, the hoarding case couldn't go out yet to foster, but they took the cats who had been there for a long time or were
1: at risk and got them into foster so that the shelter had more room to move around. So rather than thinking about making hard decisions, they reached out to the community as a network. And another option, too, is reaching out to other organizations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think sometimes that is forgotten because you're kind of panicky and you're like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. What do I do? And then you're not necessarily thinking, oh, well, let me send an email out to 20 different organizations. Or if there's a statewide network, that's all the better. Post a request for assistance on the statewide network and you can get help that way rather than feeling like your back is pushed up against the wall and and having to make a choice. One thing you did bring up that I thought was also interesting is saying that our foster homes are specialized, and I think that's a really interesting statement because here we have the needs of the cats and the kittens that are walking through our doors, but yet we also have the needs of our volunteer corps and that they would prefer kitten situation or x type of cat situation. How do you try and create foster homes that are more all purpose
0: I think you really need to you know treat every foster home as you know individually and understand what their needs are. For example, I have a male cat who just cannot tolerate other male cats, um, adult Mm -hmm. cats. And so we can do kittens that are males, you know, up to a certain age, we can do female adults, but male adults is just not going to work for us. So just kind of getting to know the families and getting to know their needs and, you know, what they're working with and also providing training and and, and letting them know when, you know, the situation is urgent. And if you want to expand your horizons and take in a kitten when you're usually an adult dog foster, we could really use your help. I think that people will stretch
1: when they know that there's a reason to stretch and that they can save a life if they do it. And looking through the organizations that you have visited over the years, in your mind, what would be the gold standard of a foster care program for cats?
0: We're actually working on this right now, a model foster program, some guidelines for that. But um, I would say a, a low barrier program, a program where people can contact the organization, talk to somebody and take a pet home as soon as possible. When there are barriers, like when somebody has to wait a month, you know, to go through a training or background check, you lose fosters that way. And the less barriers there are, the more people who are able to foster because you really do need to catch them right away. And, um, you know, a couple of other things are being really responsive to your fosters, getting back to them when they have questions, that kind of a thing. When the organization is focused around foster, Everyone in the shelter has a stake in it. I know uh, at Pima, they are working on being a model facility, and Maddie's given them a grant to have some extra foster coordinators so they can basically build this foster program of the future. And their adoption staff are processing foster as well as the foster coordinator. So it's not all falling on the foster coordinator's shoulders. And they're able to get pets into foster faster. In the last year, they have put something like over 3,000 animals into foster,
1: which is like probably a record. You also made an interesting comment there talking about offloading the work of the foster coordinator. We've had uh, over the years as sheltering has evolved, when I first started out in the 90s, very often our adoption counselors would also act as foster care coordinators and they would play a dual role. And as the organization grew, there was always this desire to have like, oh, we need a dedicated foster care coordinator. And they kind of got tucked off to the side and did whatever their thing was. And if times were tough. As you said, they sort of swept in and ran around and tried to reactively find foster homes that would help relieve the pressures on the shelter. And then now you're saying it's coming full circle, which is making the foster care and the adoption program be more interwoven together. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that organizations have a dedicated foster
0: coordinator, but the way that it's traditionally been where Everything about foster falls on that one person's shoulders. It's just, if you want to have a robust foster program, it it makes it almost impossible. I don't know a single foster coordinator who ever eats lunch. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I don't know one who works less than 10 hours a day. You know, they're doing everything they can. But if you really want to have a robust program, they need support and it will help the organization because it saves money. It saves
1: your caregivers stress and you can save a lot more lives. Definitely. I mean, the whole concept of foster care as well as hospice care Mm -hmm. or what we call a hospice foster, did you do any research in that area at all where organizations basically foster out an older kitty and continue to provide for the care for that cat, but the organization's not planning on seeing that cat back, but they've committed to caring for that cat while it still has quality of life? Yes. And I love those programs.
0: They do it at my local shelter and it's the greatest. And people love it. The fosters themselves actually get a lot out of it. I know several people who do hospice foster and they have done it again and again because it's just so rewarding for them to know that the good days that this pet has left, that they're happy and they're feeling secure and they're getting what they need. And they're not expensive. Shelter's can provide for the comfort things like prednisone and medications that help relieve pain so that they can have you no know, as many pain-free days as possible before um, it's their time. I really adore the hospice programs. And a lot of times the pets who go into them, you know, they'll come into the shelter and you'll think, oh, it's going to be a few weeks. And then they'll get into foster and they'll just be like, oh, my gosh, I have some time. Wait a minute. (laughs) I ain't going Mm -hmm. so soon. So um,
1: we've seen a lot of them live happily for way longer than we thought that they could in foster. Yeah. People will take them home and think, oh, I've got a week or two. And then it ends up being two years. (laughs) And they wouldn't trade those two years for anything. None of them.
2: We're proud to be an affiliate of Space Kitty Express, makers of handmade, refillable catnip alternative cat toys. Think Valerian, Silver Vine, Honeysuckle, etc. for the discerning cat who wants to try something new or doesn't respond to catnip. You can even get 10% off your purchase at Space Kitty Express by using the code Cats at checkout. Help your kitty blast off today with some new toys from www.spacekittyexpress.com. Did you miss the 2018 online cat conference that we held in January? Or would you like to share some of the conference webinars with friends? You can now purchase the presentations and share them with colleagues and friends. Just visit our recordings page, which is under the resources tab, to access webinars from some of the leading personalities in feline welfare today. They're sure to give you and your cat-loving friends great ideas on ways to help even more cats. Check it out at www.communitycatspodcast.com. If you
1: had all of the foster care coordinators in the country in a room and you wanted to offer a couple of tips and advice to help them get through the tough times as well as the good times, what would those tips be? This is a good question.
0: Ideally, I would want the person who is managing the foster program and the social media staff in the room with them because there's a, a couple of concepts that I think are really important. One is that social media and foster care are hand in hand. One of the things that I've been looking at is foster programs that are really large. Like, what are they doing that other foster programs aren't? When I do consults, a lot of times people will ask, how do I get more foster caregivers? And I'll go and look at their social media. And there's literally nothing in social media about foster care. So they're looking at their existing pool of fosters in order to get more fosters. But what they need to do is kind of expand that and ask the public if they will foster for them and tell them why they need them social media coordinators are really important in this. I've looked at the seven shelters that I think have some of the most robust foster programs, and I went through their social media for a solid month and just tallied, how many times are they talking about foster care? We're talking about they're asking people to become fosters. They're saying, here's Henry, and he's a great dog. He's available for foster or adoption. They're telling stories about pets and foster, putting pictures up of pets and foster, basically working foster into the conversation. And so these shelters are talking about foster care in 30% of their posts so These guys are also posting four to five times a day. So they're talking about foster care every single day on social media. And what they're doing is they're changing the culture of their community. They're making it normal. They're making it something that their community does and something that's not scary for people to apply for. And I think that that's really, really important if you want to build a foster care program. So your foster coordinator and your social media, to build a large foster program, they need to work together. Also, administrative staff to really support the foster coordinator and understand that If they really want a robust foster care program, which can help the entire shelter and all of the animals and people in it, uh, that they need to see how they can get support for their foster program, such as using your adoption counselors as also foster, being
1: able to place animals in foster, that kind of a thing. I think that's incredibly valuable information. I agree with you. The story around foster care has really taken a backseat because everybody's so interested in sharing the successful adoption story or the rescue story. And then the foster care story kind of goes on the back seat. What about foster homes being adoption ambassadors this is
0: one of the things I'm most passionate about. As a foster care provider, one of the things that we did, we fostered these behavioral dogs um, and some of them have special needs and they you know, needed to be in a home without cats or I would prefer to place them in a home without small children or something like that. So the foster caregivers for the shelter really worked hand in hand with the shelter to market these pets. And so we would take pictures, we'd make videos, we'd tell stories. And these guys were getting adopted to like the best families in like three weeks or less because we were working together to help market these pets for adoption and telling their story. So if you set the expectations with the foster caregivers that, you know, you need their help taking pictures and telling stories and and letting you know what this pet is like so that you can promote this pet on social media and make sure that pet has a great bio and that kind of thing. I think that this can really help adoptions as well. It's especially important for those guys who say you have a cat, in the shelter who's just really scared and just doesn't show well. And they did this a lot at my county shelter where, you know, the pet had been there for a couple of months and wasn't showing well. And so they would say, you know what, can somebody foster this cat for three weeks? And it would go to a foster home and it would become like a totally different cat. Every time, within hours or days, the cat would relax. It would show who it really was. They were able to get pictures. They had somebody who could talk to potential adopters about that cat and say, hey, this is what this cat is like. You might see this at the shelter, but here's what it's going to be like in your home. And that has been so important for getting adopted these pets who are challenging to find adopters for. What are
1: your thoughts about foster-only organizations? Have you done any work or had any experience with those kinds of organizations? Do you mean organizations that don't have
0: physical locations and just have pets all in foster? Um, Actually, I, I am on the board of one. And it's pretty fantastic to know that all of the pets, you know, are in the least stressed environment that they can be. It can be challenging because sometimes a foster will, you know, at the last minute have a change and you'll need to juggle. But I think that it's pretty much the ideal situation. And what we see happening in the future is that as we start saving more lives, foster care will become the standard of care and shelters will become more like way stations so that Pets will be in foster care where they will be able to get the marketing that they need, where it will be a little lower stress. And the shelter building will be there for transferring and and that kind of a thing. But foster is the most humane and
1: cost-effective solution. And that's where I'm hoping it will go. I think that's a very intriguing idea, very interesting because I know there's lots of questions around the future of sheltering and obviously having a whole slew of animals in one big building is not ideal, but yet it also seems to be the place where people do go to adopt their cats or dogs. But the foster care model is one that could definitely become our Go to option from a cat standpoint, you'd be able to show the cats a whole lot better in a home environment than in the stressed out caged environment. It's really hard to have cats feel comfortable, whether it's cageless or a caged environment in a shelter, so you know the home environment is the best way to go, and obviously then you're reduced disease issues and that kind of thing. so I think that's a fantastic idea it's very exciting to me and i think that
0: you know it would require helping foster caregivers learn about marketing and obviously having some pets on the adoption floor just not ones who are stressed
1: <laughs> Kelly, if if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing, is there a way that people can find you? And I also wanted to bring up that you had access to some great template information, and I don't know if that's available to the world at large, but you do have access to some valuable template information with regards to foster care, and I don't know if people can get that information through you. Yes, absolutely. Um, my email is doer
0: D-U-E-R at c.maddiesfund.org. You are welcome to email me and I'm happy to send you a link to the box folder. We've got tons of different documents in there, things like manuals, program SOPs, examples of programs, and the most ironclad foster agreement in existence, which um, <laughs> has been reviewed by district attorneys in about four or five different counties in the U.S. So tons of resources I'm happy to send out to you. Also, you can message me on Maddie's Pet Forum. I'm on there as Kelly Dewar. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today, Kelly? I can't think of anything. Just, I really appreciate being on this show, and thank you so much for having me.
1: And I definitely would encourage folks, if you want to address any issues that you might have in foster care, we're now looking at about October. You've been through a long, hard summer. Things are hopefully in your world slowing down a bit. So this is the time if you're thinking about making any changes or revamping anything with your foster care system or thinking about spring plans to recruit foster care, look at a social media calendar, talking with the folks that do social media, this is the time to have the conversations when people maybe have a little bit more bandwidth and and a little bit more time to sit down and talk and plan for the future. It's a great time to start thinking about foster care and your foster care program. So definitely reach out to Kelly. Her resources are phenomenal. I saw the documents in there and I went, oh, wow, they were awesome. So I do recommend taking advantage of that tremendous resource. And Kelly, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show and uh, allow me to ask you my hardest questions with regards to foster care and cats. So I appreciate you taking that challenge. And I look forward to having you on the show in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful being here.
2: Thank you for listening to Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats.